So who in here likes to read? Go ahead and raise your hand. That is way more than I thought. So, okay, raise your other hand if you don't like reading. Okay, okay. How many of you have finished at least one book this year cover to cover? We're judging all of you without your hands raised. (laughs) Keep your hands raised if you've read five books this year. Ten books. There's a lot on the line here, people. What about 20 books? Who's finished 20 books this year? Okay. 50 books. Okay, okay, hands kind of raised, okay. I've finished a whopping 12 books this year. I finished my 12th book preparing for this uh, message. But what about a more specific question? How many of you like biographies or autobiographies? Okay, still a lot of you, cool. My favorite biography of all time is a biography on Martin Luther, the theologian by Eric Metaxas. It's about 800 pages and it took me about three years I feel like, but why do we love biographies or autobiographies? And even if you would say that you don't love them, you've been to that person's IMDB page, you've been to that Wikipedia page, so what is it about this information about people that draws us in? What is it about that magnetism to bringing these people down to our level? What soothes us in that? With this in mind, but changing gears just a little bit, how many of you would read Satan's autobiography? Wow. It's okay, you can raise your hand, I would read it. Okay, okay, less people, okay, okay, did not plan for that well, cool, cool. Um, If you've read Mein Kampf, maybe you would say that you have read Satan's autobiography. That's my only obscure literature joke for the day, I promise. But what is it about Satan that piques our interest? What is it about the magnetism, just like IMDB or autobiographies, that pulls us in to know more about Satan? I've had a lot of questions in my very long time in ministry about Satan, um, but, and a lot of people say, well, it's important to know your enemy. It's important to know more about Satan, and I would give them that. That's true. Um, that, that knowing your enemy is a good thing, but why does it seem like there's not very many people who are able to fight Satan then? Why does it seem like a lot of people just can't do that very well? Feels like we're making a sense of progress just by studying Satan, so therefore we think we're doing okay. This might be the most scandalous thing I say all day, but if you're from the Cheyenne area, you'll get this, but it's like you're traveling west on Pershing. Say you're going to the north part of town, and instead of going to Warren to turn right, to turn north, you turn right on Evans, that little road that goes by the airport, by the FedEx, and people here say it's a shortcut. People believe since they're moving, therefore they must be getting to their destination faster. Or it's like on the highway and standstill traffic, that car that keeps zooming in and out, like they're going to get to their destination faster than the rest of us. People feel like since they're making progress, since they're doing anything, since they're going anywhere at all, they think they're making progress. I think the same can be said about a lot of our approach to Satan. We believe since we're studying, since we're doing something, we're getting somewhere. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, My name is Taylor Miller. I'm the lead producer here at the church. And whether you're joining us in person today, our favorite people, or joining us on a video screen somewhere, uh, we're just so thrilled that that you chose to join us. We are in the second to last week of a series on glory from the last five chapters of the book of Romans. Um, the, whole, the whole series is through the lens of Romans 11:36 that says, "For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is attended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen." 
Today we're in Romans 16, 17 through 20, um, and in, but in two weeks, we just want to let you know, on Sunday, September 15th, our lead pastor, I'm not the lead pastor here, if you are new, uh, our lead pastor, Jeff, is going to start a new series called Why? In this series, we're going to use the lens of scripture to talk about why we exist as a church. If you're new, this is a great series for you to come to, to learn more about what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. If you're a regular attender, um, we're counting on you to bring someone new to this series. By the end of this series, you might not agree with or like all of the answers that we have, but there should be no confusion about why we do what we do. Again, this starts two weeks from today on Sunday, Sunday, September 15th. But today, we finally arrive at the very best verse in all of Romans. Romans 16, 19 says, And if you know, you know, and if you don't, you were seriously deprived of some quality church camp experiences growing up. So let me read our four verses for today. Romans 16, 17 says, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. And that Greek word there is their appetites. They're only concerned about things that please them. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Huh? Again, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The first few verses here might feel pretty familiar to you if you've been here this series. Uh, Jared and Fred earlier in the summer, summer both preached on these things. We've talked about divisions and making concessions for people's faith, so we're not gonna spend very much time. We're not gonna ignore them, so let me summarize. Don't be a jerk. Moving on. Moving on to the stuff you all want to talk about, and that's Satan. So we're going to talk about Satan. So our big idea today is really simple. And honestly, Jeff's not here, so I can say this. Um, It might be the best big idea we've ever had from the stage here at Element Church. (laughs) And that is, God has empowered us to curb stomp Satan. And because of this, we must ask a couple really important big questions. Where do I sign up, and can I wear my boots? The answer is you can sign up at the next steps wall after service. Just go through these double doors. There's a wall of computers. You can sign up there. And the bigger the boots, the better. We're still kind of coming off frontier days, so I'm assuming a lot of you, if not most of you, have boots that you need broken in. But before we dive in, I do have to warn you, the sermon will probably leave you with more questions than answers. And I can almost promise you some of that excitement, some of uh, the feeling we have right now will quickly wear away unless you are pretty committed to this pretty demanding call. But if you're ready to commit, let's go ahead and dig in. So my actual big question today is how do we crush Satan? Just that short sentence. How do we crush Satan? I could spend an hour, probably more. If you know me, I could spend probably many, many hours talking about the complexities and dangers of studying Satan and the unseen world and angels and all that goes with that. So I hope you understand why I have to be pretty brief today. Some people spend their entire lives, I had a professor in college that literally his entire life was spent studying Satan. And other people say it's best to only take a sharp, quick glance at Satan. We're going to find ourselves somewhere in the middle of that today. Today, though, I want to spend more time on good than bad, though, on God rather than Satan, 
By knowing a little bit more about who God is, we'll be able to know a little bit more about who Satan is. The U.S. Treasury Department actually sets a really good example for this and how they train secret service agents to recognize counterfeit bills. They don't spend days, months, weeks, years fixating on the counterfeit bills. They spend all or most, if not all of their time on real actual bills from the mint. And in doing so, they're able to recognize counterfeit bills. And that's what I hope to do today. The same principle is applied when Paul says the Roman believers should know more about doing good. And the more they do good, the easier it will be for them to stay away from what is wrong. For today, I could spend 35 minutes just talking about Satan, but I wanna look at true and good bills today. By knowing more about God and his promises for us, we'll be more likely to see who Satan is and be able to avoid him. So let's talk about it. How do we crush Satan? The first way that I see from this passage is through our perseverance. I'm gonna be upfront here. This is gonna be repeat information for a lot of you. If you've been a Christian longer than a couple days, a couple weeks, this is probably something you've heard before. Some of you might already be thinking, I know where this is going, resist the devil and he will flee, yada, yada, yada. And you're right, that's exactly where I'm going. But I promise, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, what we're gonna talk about in this point is not gonna be new. But before we get there, I want to just ask you to use your imaginations really quickly. Once upon a time, you were a small person. And for me, I'm about six foot five, so imagining a two or three foot me is kind of difficult to do. But imagine that you're there. Imagine you're a small, young person, and you want that thing. For me, it was Legos or an N64. For you, it might have been that remote control car or makeup set. I don't know what girls want. My daughter's only one, so I don't have to worry about that quite yet. Uh, But just imagine that thing when you were young, and you were just so fixated on it. You wanted it so bad. Now, maybe you got that thing, but imagine that you did get that thing. Imagine your parents bought it for you and presented it to you. Was your contentment fully filled? Did it stay that way? Why does it seem like today, um, when we fixate on that phone or that car or that person or that job, and when we get it, sometimes we move on to a new obsession or fixation, sometimes in the same day. Now, follow my leap here. Why is it the same when we learn things about God, when we learn about the truths and promises of God? Why do we only find satisfaction for such a brief amount of time sometimes? I remember in college going through a couple years of Greek class, and it was just like this just funnel of like, oh, this thing, about, oh, okay, all right. And I didn't spend any amount of time really fixating and dwelling on the truths of God that I was learning. I was just so interested in moving to the next thing. And I'm sure most of you have experienced that in some way. Honestly, the church could stop preaching altogether, which some of you might be thinking that sounds nice, and just go to 100% potlucks if the church could just remember and act on the truths that we've learned in scripture. But today I wanna remind you of something that most of you probably haven't lived out completely, myself included. So let's jump to Ephesians chapter six, and I'm gonna read this whole section of scripture because regardless of how old we are, it rules. So Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, and anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you gotta find out what the therefore is there for. But on every piece, that was free. That was entire four years of Bible college education in one moment, just for y'all. 
Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be able to stand firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth in the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how do we crush Satan? Through our perseverance. And how do we persevere? We put on the entire or the whole armor of God. The main thing I really want to point out from this whole passage is we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but an unseen world, an unseen enemy. So when this doesn't make sense, I'm sorry to say it's not supposed to. The unseen world, like Satan, is a complexity that we can't really dive into today. I could spend hours talking about that as well. But we are wearing armor in a physical, a seen world, but we're fighting in a battle in an unseen world against unseen enemies. And that just blows my mind. You ever feel like tired and you like can't explain it? For some of you, you just don't eat very well. You don't sleep very well or you have children. But like the days that you, that you just wake up and you just, you can't explain it. You're just so tired. Well, I believe this is why. I believe this unseen battle that we're all pulled in, that we're all stretched by, stretches us mentally, spiritually, physically in ways that we don't understand. So it seemed like it would benefit us to put on the whole armor of God and not just some of it. So don't raise your hand for this one, but have you ever had bed bugs? Yes, I understand this is kind of embarrassing, so that's why I didn't have you raise your hand, but my hand is raised. I had bed bugs last year. We think it was from a used mattress or used headboard, but regardless, this mostly unseen enemy in our lives wreaked havoc. It was one of the most terrifying times of my entire life. And some of you might be thinking, has this dude lived in a bubble's entire life? <laughs> no, but let me explain. We had two kids under the age of two and feasting on these bed bugs were hobo spiders. I'm not from this part of the world, but apparently hobo spiders are really poisonous spiders. Where I'm from in the Midwest, we just do it right and have brown recluse spiders. You don't know they're there and then you're just dead. But these hobo spiders, there were dozens of them, and they were just feasting on these bed bugs. So like perfect storm of things you don't want with kids under two in the house. As far as I could see it, my wife and I agreed the only two ways we could actually get rid of this was two options. One, just burn our house down. And the other option was just burn our house down. That was the only way out we could see. We didn't burn our house down. That's irresponsible. So I read hundreds and hundreds of articles it felt like on the internet and my wife can attest to how much of a frenzy I was in. So the first thing almost all of these articles say is wash and dry your bedding on high heat. So we did that. And the next day I called a dozen exterminators, please come to my house, we're all gonna die. But they're all, they were all booked out except for one and he drove all the way from Laramie at like six o'clock at night to look at our bed bugs. So they sprayed, the problem resided as far as we know. Um, but back to my point, put on the entire armor, not just some of it. If we had only done a couple of these things, if I would have only washed but not dried my sheets, if I would have called but not paid the exterminator, what could have happened? Well, there's no way to know. Maybe nothing, but maybe something much more difficult to root out from our lives. When you only put on some or none of the armor of God, you're leaving yourself exposed. And what's more challenging about this for me is at the end of the day, we could find the bed bugs. They're tiny, but you can find evidence of them. You can eventually 
find them, but we're fighting against an enemy you can't find. We are fighting against an entirely unseen enemy, so why would you risk it? Seriously, again, use your imaginations. I'm not the only one working here today. Why would you risk it? Why would I risk not putting on the entire armor of God? I don't know about you, but the flaming arrows of the evil one sound horrible. And those of you who have been in the military, when you put on full battle rattle, I was in the army, so that's what we called it. I don't know what people in the Air Force call it. I think like 95% of the people that are in the military here are in the Air Force. But it was full battle rattle for us. And the first time I put it on, I remember I felt like I weighed 400 pounds and like moving your head is like an entire upper body movement. So those of you who have put on full armor, you understand. But ask anyone in the military, and I'm sure you would choose the same thing, protection over comfort, which one would you choose? In, in a battle, not just to like to hang out. <laughs> I'm assuming, I hope most of you, if not all of you, would choose protection. Protection is a, is a necessity. Luxury or comfort is a luxury. But I don't think Paul is just talking about being protected here. You are equipped with, a sword, with the sword of the spirit after all. And this quote was super helpful for me in preparing for this message. Spiritual warfare is usually portrayed as defensive trying to hold our ground against waves of attackers. This gets the emphasis exactly backwards. Spiritual warfare arises because God is carrying out his invasions, piercing the darkness with light. We who were formerly darkness have been made part of the light that he brings and every bit of faith and love illuminates and destroys darkness. Isn't that good? If we never went into that room with the bed bugs, it would have been easier. It would have been certainly cheaper but we would have never known that we had a problem. If you didn't go into your workplace looking for bed bugs, you wouldn't find them. You wouldn't need armor. If you didn't go after that sin in your life to try and root it out, you didn't, wouldn't need protection. You wouldn't need this armor. You wouldn't need this sword. If you ignored that room in your house, things would be safer, easier. But we are on the offensive, y'all. God's got stuff to do, and for some reason, he chooses to use us. So in light of this, dang it, Paul says, put on the entire armor of God. Put on your belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, the shoes of peace, hold your shield of faith, put on your helmet of salvation and take up your sword of the spirit. Six things that we're called to do. Six things in the armor of God that we're asked to put on. But only six things. The Bible seems pretty keen on groups of seven, so why not seven? Well, I think we find the seventh thing in our arsenal in the next verse of Ephesians 6, verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So how do we crush Satan's head? Through our perseverance, wearing the entire armor of God and number two, through our prayer. Prayer is complicated. I'll be the first to admit that. I may get more questions about prayer than I do about Satan in my time in ministry. I remember hearing a story of a lady to kick this off, though. Uh, today we'll call her Beverly, because that was her name. Um, <laughs> yes. Crushed it. She was a Christian, but she refused to pray. She thought it was silly. Well, if God knows everything, why would I pray? Well, somehow someone broke through to her and she committed to praying once a day for seven days. And what do you think happened at the end of those seven days? Again, use your imagination. I promise whatever you're thinking right now is wrong. 
At the end of seven days, Beverly was so challenged when she heard about a community in Southeast Asia that did not have a Bible translation that she sold everything and moved to this community. So I know this is a pretty extreme example, but I see two very distinct ways Beverly's life was changed uh, through prayer that apply to us. So the first way is prayer has a way of pulling us up, pulling us up out of the limited amount of space we can see in front of us. It pulls, up, pulls us up a little bit more to see God's perspective. And vantage point in a battle is pretty pivotal. We have a volunteer that I have the honor of serving alongside of in our production ministry. His name is Mike Geringer. And from what I see on Facebook, Mike has the absolute best job in all of the world. Uh, he gets to fly around and study wildlife and fly drones all over the country and the world and take some of the best pictures in the world so I've ever seen. So here are a couple examples of that. So are these landscapes that Mike takes pictures of ugly or lame without a drone? Well, of course not. But something happens when we have a perspective shift. We can see more. Like I said, Mike studies wildlife and drones allow him to see things that just his eyes standing in a place would not be able to, to see. So if Mike could only see and study what was in front of him, he could still do his job, but drones allow him to do something a little bit bigger, a little bit greater. So this video is a really good example of this. Um, so this bird on the ground is a tern, which I had no idea there was a type of bird called a tern. Um, but this, say this is right in front of your feet. Now say we have this perspective shift. Try and keep your eyes on the bird. I promise you can't see it anymore. And if you say you can, you're lying. I tried to with my computer mouse and I, I still lost it. So I believe in prayer, this is what happens. You can't even see the thing that was in front of you before. And it's not like the things in front of you at this time are unimportant, but it's helpful to get a perspective shift. For Beverly, her scope was pretty limited because she was not opening herself up to this possibility of a perspective shift. In prayer, she either learned about or was more receptive to this community in Southeast Asia that needed a Bible. And selling everything and moving to translate a Bible is about as Satan crushing as it gets. If we don't pray, we are limited. If we only pray sparingly, we are limited. Would you like to fight a battle in a fog? Would you like to tangle with sin with one arm tied behind your back? Well, that happens when we do not pray. When we pray, or, when we pray something happens in our perspective shifts, much like the drone is able to do. We can see more. We are more aware of what God is doing. Prayer helps us see beyond what was in front of us. If we want to see what God is doing and recognize those true bills like we talked about earlier, we need to pray. The second way I think prayer changes us from Beverly's story is it changes or conforms us more into the image of Christ. For Beverly, she was caught up on the logistics of prayer instead of doing what she was told over and over and over in the Bible, which is to pray. I believe Satan was using this bit of uncertainty in her, in her life to convince her not to pray. We can't know, but what if she started praying five years earlier? Would that community have already had a Bible? Again, we can't know these things. But again, don't raise your hand for this one either. How many times in your life have you said, well, God knows everything, so I'm not going to pray? I have. And I believe that part of this is from God. Curiosity and desire to know more about God comes from God. But as soon as that thought process turns into the decision not to pray, I believe we are in spiritual warfare territory at that point. And I believe if you've ever decided not to pray, you are losing that battle. If we look at how we are taught to pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven, it looks like our framework we are to work from is to be asking for God to reveal to us what we are supposed to pray for, what we are want to want to pray for. And in John 6, 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this should be our prayer as well. Father, I'm not here to do my own stuff. The things in front of me that I want are unimportant if they do not line up with what you want. Christ is our template here. And we should seek to love and to act like Christ did. And in prayer, we are opening ourselves up to this possibility. So in prayer, how do we crush Satan's head? We have a perspective shift. We can see more of the battlefield. And, we, and number two, when we pray, we open ourselves up to this change. So how do we stomp Satan's head? Through perseverance, wearing the entire armor of God and through prayer. So far, I've talked about things that we can do, us as humans, in a moment of time can do to crush Satan in our lives. But as you all know, it's really the God, it's really the God, it's really God doing the work here. He's just using our boots. So the verse does say it's the God of peace who will soon crush Satan, but he's just using our feet. So like I said earlier about the drone, sometimes it's helpful to get a perspective shift. And in point three, we get that. So point three and how we crush Satan is by God's peace. So yes, I am aware of the irony here. Peace is crushing. Peace, like Satan, like prayer, is a complicated idea. Come to think of it, everything we're covering today is pretty complicated. So what is peace though? If you've lived in an apartment complex, peace for you might be a day that you don't hear your neighbors. If you're into debt up to your eyeballs, peace for you might be a moment in time that you don't get a collection notice in the mail. If you have kids, maybe it's getting home today without a blowout, a tantrum, or getting hit in the back of the head with a Happy Meal toy you forgot was in the back of your minivan. That one's pretty personal to me, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> peace to all of us means something pretty different. So why does peace here seem violent though? When I think of peace, I don't think of violence, but I think we find the answer if we jump back to Genesis 3. Genesis is the first book of the entire Bible, first book of the Old Testament. And to recap, Adam and Eve done messed up in Genesis 3 and God says, sorry, not sorry, you're gonna sit outside of Eden on a multi-thousand year timeout for you and your offspring. God says, sit over there in a corner. But much like those of you with kids or you've seen kids put in a timeout, you try and give hope. You're not always successful, but some, you try to give hope. If you sit here for three or four minutes, then you can come back and play. If you sit for a little bit, you can have this toy or this food. And God, ever the best example of a parent, gives us hope when he says this to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, which today we can see as Satan or deceiving forces in our lives, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility, or some of you might be familiar with a translation that says enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see, there is hope. The offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head and not in a corrective way, hence curb stomping. There is no hope for those who stand against the offspring of the woman, but that means that there is hope for the offspring of the woman, which is you, which is me, which is Jesus. There is hope, God is greater. Today there is suffering, today there is death, today there is decay, today there is Satan, but tomorrow is a different story maybe literally tomorrow. 
And regardless of how you interpret Satan, outside of the garden, it sucks. Hopefully I'm allowed to say sucks from stage. And we're ever pulled away from God, ever deceived to insulate ourselves with more layers to insulate us from from God like Adam and Eve did, feeling exposed by our nakedness, pulling us farther from God. But there is hope. God is greater. But what about now, you might say? And what about pain? And what about bone cancer in kids? What about the political climate? What about the hurricane barreling down at the southeast coast of our nation? No punches pulled again. It sucks here. What about racism? I don't know if you guys have seen on the internet all of the Mr. Rogers stuff going around, but I was reminded that 59 years ago, African-Americans could not swim with white Americans. And you're telling me that a little bit of armor and some prayer is gonna make up for that pain. Well, no, I'm not, but a God of peace can. There is hope. God is greater. Next month, my son will turn three on October 29th. He likes cars, fruit snacks, basketballs, soccer balls, baseballs, if you wanna get him anything. But unfortunately, this is a bittersweet day for me because on October 26th, it will be the three year anniversary of my mom passing away. She had breast cancer that spread pretty aggressively to her spine. And to be honest, that season, it was so challenging to balance the highs and the lows that most most days I chose to not feel anything. I couldn't be happy for my son being born because my mom had just passed away and I couldn't even go to the funeral. And I couldn't be sad for my mom because my son had just been born. And most days I forgot the promise that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath my feet, the same feet that did not wanna touch the ground in the morning. Most days I was indifferent to or forgot the promises of God that the battle was already won on the cross. My pain was just too great. And if someone in that season would have came up to me and said, you know, brother, just pray and put on the armor of God, my general adherence to nonviolence would have been pretty challenged. (laughs) And some of you may even be in a season similar to that, but there is hope. God is greater. Somehow I got through that season and somehow I'm continuing to get through this season, but progress is slow, but I have hope. God is greater. And sometimes at this point in a sermon with only a couple more minutes left to go, the preacher will rush through the last verse to get to the end, to land the plane. But I think today, the last verse for us may be the most important. And I think Paul, the writer of Romans saw, we would have this angst. Why pain, Paul? Why cancer, Paul? And I think Paul, if he was reading this to us instead of writing it to us, would have got down on one knee with us and said, our last verse today, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace. Add that to the list of complicated things we've covered today. Uh, Grace or unmerited favor, a gift that we do not deserve and one we can certainly not earn. Grace that we might find refuge in Christ. Grace that when our tiny brains try and figure all of this out and inevitably get it wrong, that he would not condemn us. Grace that when I was reeling from the loss of my mother, that he would not forsake me, that he would not condemn me, that the God of peace would not abandon me. In the darkest of night, we must be reminded that there is hope in a God who is greater, greater than sin, greater than death, greater than racism, greater than cancer, even though most days it does not seem like it. A God who is coming again to bring peace by vanquishing our enemy Satan, who will separate the wheat from the weeds and we will dwell with him eternally. So how do we crush Satan? 
We persevere by putting on the entire armor of God. We pray so that our perspective and our hearts are changed, but we rely solely on the God of peace who empowers us, who gives us grace until Christ returns to vanquish our enemy. I can't think of a better way to end our message than to sing, to worship. So the band can come out. And I asked them if they would close us in one of my all-time favorite songs, Greater by Elevation Worship. And in this song, it fits on a couple different levels, um, but primarily in the bridge, it says, you have overcome the world, took the keys from death and hell, joining in heaven, we declare you're greater. You're greater. This is not a Satan sermon, y'all. This is a God sermon. Y'all are free, free to walk alongside God, a God that will give you grace in a season when it doesn't make sense. In a season that it seems like Satan does nothing but win, but the battle has already been won, y'all, on the cross. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who gives us protection through your spirit and through your word. And we pray to you that you would change us, that you would change our perspective, that we would be challenged by things we cannot see when we don't pray. But ultimately, we pray that we would rely on you solely for our strength, that you would help us in this season outside of the garden where it sucks, where things are hard, where death happens, decay happens. Just give us strength in this time and help us to sing. Help us to sing to you in this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. And I do wanna say one more thing because I forgot it because I don't have my notes in front of me. Some of you might not like to sing and that's okay. But if I could add a fourth thing, a fourth way Satan is crushed in our lives, it is through the worship of our God. So if you suck at singing and you know it, you better sing. (laughs) Because today you're gonna go home and you're gonna get distracted by stuff. You're gonna see Satan everywhere. And you might not say, I praise Satan. You might not use those words, but by doing the things that you do, you are saying that. So today, take this time. You don't get this opportunity any other day of the week to sing to God, to say, God, you are greater. If you don't take advantage of that time, I don't know what else to say. Sing to God with us right now.